Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Hi, Desi. Hi, Welcome back. Happy New Year. A happy New Year, bitch. Um, we were just talking about our Patreon, so I will take that opportunity to tell you about our Patreon. Maybe you don't know about Patreon. It's an incredible platform where you can not only support your favorite podcast, but you usually get additional content. Usually, always. I mean, for us, it's always, but I don't know what other people do. Right. <laughs> Maybe they just give ad-free episodes. Well, we do Which both. we do. So I subscribe to several podcast Patreon because I like supporting the shows and I like supporting their hard work, but Me I also too. like hearing all their additional um, bonus episodes. Yeah. So if and you... And what are we doing... What are we doing for the next two months? And right now we are recapping the Ashley Simpson show which I had never seen before and was Rachel's favorite show. It was not my favorite show. <laughs> it was not my favorite show. I just highly enjoyed hate watching it when it was out. Well, it's a real throwback to a very specific type of reality show yes. that existed in the 2000, early 2000s or whatever. The 2000s. I don't know what it's called when something's 2007. So we have just a few things we have. We have that recap. We have after shows. We have ad-free episodes. At the $10 level, we have larger events happening, like longer <laughs> episodes. Mysteries in the Macabre. It's a whole other podcast we do. Yeah. We also sometimes do really long, in-depth movie recaps, which you've heard us do before. I have a really excited thing, exciting thing planned for this month. Mm. So get on board uh, and, you know, I think you're going to like it. So who has gotten on board? Well, Quinn, Danielle, Gabriella, Jay Fizzle, Rachel, Elizabeth, Laura, Shannon, Jamie, Misty, Nada, Aaron, Miranda, Lauren, Tess, Jennifer, Hannah, Becky, Kaylin, Goblin, Tracy, Jean, Carly, Grace, Heather, Jason, Tracy, Mandy, Jill, Molly, Olwen, Marnie, Deb, Mandy, Sarah, Cami, Natasha, Patrick, Valentina, Christy, Meg, Amy, Ambrose, Evelyn, Joe, Hannah, Jim, J Mac Dog, Allison, Kim, Alana, Timothy, Melissa, Hillary, Walken, Ethan, Rachel, Fox, Hannah, Robert, Jennifer, and Loretta. Thank you very much. All right, Desi. This week, we are going to be talking about bank robberies. Bank robberies? We're talking about <laughs> bank robberies. Sorry, you told me something else. Oh, That's why I'm shocked. I'm oh, like, wait, what? Oh, right. Um, <laughs> back rolls. I said I was going to be talking about something else, but there wasn't enough information. Okay. They're just, I mean, I'm not, I'm just shocked because I was waiting for something else to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I know. I was hyping you up. I was hyping you up. But we're talking about something else this week. That's fine. I read a great book that has a lot of different stories in it, but I decided to focus in on one particularly wild story from Los Angeles history. The book which I used as my main source is called Where the Money Is, True Tales from the Bank Robbery Capital of the World by William J. Redder and Gordon Dillo. Oh, is this the bank robbery capital of the world? Apparently, according to this book. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> William J. Redder, Bill Redder, he's a former FBI agent or detective. I bet you it's because there's so many freeways here and you can just have all these routes out of, ta- out of it. 
I do think Los Angeles is legendary for its high speed pursuits. Yeah. Because I love watching those. I mean, I have watched a lot of bank robbery films, and a, quite a few are set in Los Angeles. Right. So it makes sense. This is the bank rob- robbery spot to place to be. Anyway, let's get started. We have a lot to get to. It was Monday morning, June 9th, 1986, when employees at the First Interstate Bank in Hollywood arrived at work to discover that the bank had been robbed over the weekend. The vault had been ransacked. Over a hundred security deposit boxes were strewn about the floor, pried open with crowbars, most likely. The contents of 36 safe deposit boxes had been stolen. Some of the items stolen included an original drawing by Matisse, an 1855 edition of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, jewelry, ancient Persian artifacts, Whoa! and wouldn't you know it, Joe Jackson had a safe deposit box at the bank. Michael's father? Michael's father (laughs) had a safe deposit box at this very bank, and he reported that he had gold coins that had been stolen from the safe deposit box. Not gold coins. His gold, that's what you put in a safe deposit box. Absolutely. And gold bars. Gold bullion <laughs> bars, silver. Yeah. Um, Documents. A document you don't want anyone to know about. Yeah. A hidden will. A hidden will. <laughs> um, and leaves of grass. Absolutely. On top of that, $172,000 in cash had been stolen from the teller boxes and the bank's money carts. Investigators, including FBI agent and author of the book I mentioned, Bill Redder, arrived on the scene and saw the robber's means of entry, a 25-inch by 20-inch hole on the floor of the vault. Ooh. They had come up through the floor. The opening of the hole was just wide enough for someone to squeeze through. A quick look into the hole showed only darkness. Despite no professional spelunkers at the scene, one of the detectives would be tasked with crawling inside and checking things out. That job fell to Detective Dennis Pagenhop, who climbed inside with a flashlight and discovered several descending chambers and passageways that had been carved out. They've been digging. (laughs) They've been digging. For a while. Perhaps with a drill. Ooh. The first chamber was five feet tall by four feet wide, and it led to a three-foot by three-foot passageway, which led to another chamber, which led to another passageway that descended at a sharp angle. Dennis slid down this passageway about eight feet to find Mm. the largest chamber yet. It was 12 feet high. Whoa! Connected to this chamber is yet another narrow passageway that Dennis crawled through, and this was a long passageway. The narrow tunnel appeared to have been dug out by spades, and the ceiling had been carved into an arched shape so as to prevent a cave-in. These robbers did their research. Damn, but why make it 12 feet? Seems a little unnecessary. (laughs) Well, some of the passageways were only three foot high. That's what I mean. Like, I feel like eight feet is pretty high. They wanted one luxurious chamber. Sweet with high ceilings. They wanted one like place to hang out. That's crazy. I think. Now, this is the final tunnel that Dennis, the detective, is crawling through, and it ended at a drain pipe that had a four-foot hole cut into it. This is where the robbers entered, through a storm drain, into the tunnel system they built, and up through the floor of the bank's vault. They left the same way they came in. This open storm channel they entered and exited through was located a half a mile away from the bank at Hollywood Boulevard and Nichols Canyon Drive. Damn, that is so much work. This channel led... So there's a storm channel at Nichols Canyon Drive, which if you know the area, it is a small street that leads up into the hills right? um, with nice houses. It's, and many of those streets. It's tucked yeah. away. This isn't like Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood. This is like West Hollywood. Right. A more quieter. Pri- a little quieter. So this storm channel led to a 54-inch diameter pipe underground. Okay. 
After Detective Dennis completed his tunnel journey, more cops made their way through the tunnel and through the L.A. sewer system. He's so brave. Yeah, Just crawling through that tunnel. (laughs) I bet he used that to pick up chicks later. I would never do that. To be the first one to go through a tunnel system? I'm not crawling through a three-foot hole ever, unless I'm trying to get out of something. (laughs) It's kind of remarkable how much more willing I was as a child to climb through small spaces. Because you were small. I know, Probably, but even right? just do like weird stuff that would now make me claustrophobic. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I was definitely more inclined, but I I'm just like, I'm not going to be like, let me see where this goes. Right. Like, the, what if they're all hanging out in that 12-foot room with guns? <laughs> Like, there's lots of reasons, right? There could be um, monsters down there. You don't know? It's ha- it's it might be haunted. LA is a very haunted place. I'm just thinking it's scary. I don't like it. And you don't know. Like, yes, it's it was relatively well constructed, this tunnel system, but I would also be thinking the whole time, what if it caves in? What if it caves or in? Or what if you're crawling through and then all of a sudden you reach a caved in part? <gasps> Do you know what I mean? And you have to back out? Uh, you can't really turn around because uh, it's like three feet by three yes. feet. So after Dennis went down, they're like, all right, let's get some other boys down here, fan out. We're going to look for some clues. We're going to actually go through more of the L.A. sewer system, not just this like tunnel and the pipe they went through just to like see what's going on. City workers from the Department of Public Works led these cops through the system. They learned more about the methods used to construct the tunnel and how the robbers traveled. Tire tracks on the sewer pipe indicated that the robbers had driven ATVs through the tunnel. Whoa, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I'm just like, I can't believe how much work they did to get this bank load. We're not even... Do you know what I mean? Like, This isn't even the half of it. (laughs) It was surmised that in the middle of the night, the robbers lowered up to four ATVs into the channel at Nichols Canyon and down into this pipe. It would have been a tight squeeze inside the four-foot diameter pipes pipe that they were riding <laughs> through. But, the, but these ATVs were necessary to haul all of the equipment that they used to construct the tunnel. I mean, it's quiet over there, but you'd think someone would notice <laughs> them lowering four <laughs> ATVs down. That's like a big production. I mean, I can only assume if anyone saw it, they were like, it must be like city work. Do you know what I mean? It's too crazy to think someone was doing something or up to something. Yeah, if you kind of just are acting like you belong there. Yeah. You're like, yeah, like kind of like in Ghostbusters. Yeah, we're just inspecting the pipes. I think it was Ghostbusters 2 where they were pretending to be city workers, but they really wanted to go check out the slime that was underneath the city. Right. Yeah, you got to act like you belong. So... The, the, this is a four-foot diameter pipe that they're riding this these ATVs through to get to the tunnel portion. That is so small. So they're hunched. They surmise that they're like hunched over on their ATVs hauling this equipment. But are these mini ATVs? I don't know. That's a Suzuki ATV. Okay. They figured out it was a Suzuki. Okay. The sewer pipe ran down Spalding Street, which oh, was wow. the cross street of the bank at Sunset. Once they made it through the pipe close enough to the bank, they then cut through the thick concrete wall of the pipe and started digging their tunnel to the bank. Mm. So among the tools they hauled with them on the ATVs was a gas-powered generator to power the electric saw used to cut out the hole in the pipe. Hand shovels and picks were used to bore out the tunnel. Now, obviously, all this digging accumulated a ton of dirt, and that's where the wheelbarrows they also brought came in handy. <laughs> just like, just go get a job. <laughs> this seems so hard. This is so much work. I'm exhausted. These guys hauled out more than 3,000 cubic feet of dirt. Okay, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they hauled out more than 3,000 cubic feet of dirt to construct this tunnel. And... It's even crazier when you find out how they hauled this dirt out. So they would have to disassemble their wheelbarrows to fit through the tunnel. Right. 
Then they would reassemble them. They'd load them up with dirt. Oh my God. Then they would walk the dirt-filled wheelbarrows through the tunnel up to the four-foot diameter pipe and just... They 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 dumped they dumped the dirt next to a temporary dam that they had built in the pipe with sandbags because this dam would collect the steady stream of water coming right. from the sewer pipe and so at the end of the day they would release the dam and the water would just wash the dirt down the drain. Oh, okay. That's kind of crafty. Yes, I wouldn't have thought of that. No way. Even if I saw the water, it wouldn't have occurred to me. Although, who knows what I would do in my laziest state. (laughs) (laughs) Um, During the construction of the tunnel, neighbors in the area of the bank reported seeing a truck parked next to a manhole at weird hours that looked like an official city worker truck. Investigators believe that these robbers had painted a truck to make it look official. Yeah. They also believed that this was the lookout truck. Yeah. So it was in sight line of the bank because it's like at a manhole. And they also believed that it was positioned over this manhole so that the guy being the lookout in the truck could pass coffee down to the robbers who were digging out the tunnel below. They needed refreshments. This was evidenced by the large pile of styrofoam coffee cups that were found in the tunnel. I just picture him like on a cup on a string. With that bucket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah lowering it down. Here you go. I, <laughs> I would honestly, if I was like in this crew, I'd be like, I get the lookout job. Yeah. That's my job. I guess I'll do the lookout job, hoping no one says anything. <laughs> When it was time to cut through the 18 inches of steel and concrete floor of the bank's vault, the robbers employed a boring drum machine fitted with an 18-inch wide core bit that was able to cut through the material. This is crazy. So this is one of the more difficult portions of the job. Where do you get that? Like a place where you buy tools? I I don't know, Home Depot? You could probably get it at Home Depot. Um... I, f- I feel like these guys deserve what they got from a hundred percent. This is the hardest I've ever heard of anyone working. Th- these guys deserve every penny. Absolutely. I can't believe what they've done. I mean, I feel bad for the person who owned Leaves of Grass, but they might have been an asshole. So I don't know. We don't know who it is. Could have been Walter White. That's true. Maybe they're also a villain. <laughs> <laughs> um, the problem was that it. This is this boring machine. You had to have it, it like it needed to be held steady, otherwise it would jerk around. Yeah, and because it it's like doing a lot of vibration and cutting through. Oh, I've done it. I've held a jackhammer, so it's gonna like move around a lot. You gotta hold it steady, or that shit goes off like a cartoon. <laughs> Just like so yeah. I can imagine something bigger would be even crazier. Right. The problem was it was kind of hard to steady any kind of machine inside of a dirt tunnel. And and probably very scary that that vibration might lead to something. Yeah, like a cave-in. Yeah. You don't want to loosen up that dirt. That's risky. Very risky. This is so risky. So when this boring machine couldn't finish the job, the robbers then used concrete saws, drills, and hydraulic jacks, which finally allowed them entry through the floor of the vault. Oof. I mean, it's wild that the vaults you can enter it without any alarms going off. We're going to get to that. Okay. Now, just how long had it taken these robbers to construct this tunnel system, and how did nobody discover them in the process? Desi, let's go back in the time machine to a month earlier, May of 1986. Wow, this is like Real Housewives of <laughs> I was I'm, Salt Lake City. I may have been inspired by Andy Cohen's storytelling capabilities. <laughs> so this was the first time that employees at the first interstate bank began hearing strange sounds coming from like while I was they were, wondering about that. Yes. Now the first incident occurred while the bank's manager was working after closing time. She heard a whirring sound coming from somewhere. It sounded like maybe someone was drilling something. (laughs) After checking out the bank, 
The manager couldn't find where the noise was coming from, and when the noise stopped, she forgot about it. Besides, the bank was on a busy corner of Sunset. It could have been coming from anywhere. But the following week, the manager heard the same sound again. This time, she heard it coming from near the vault. Now, the bank's vault was 20 by 20, 20 by 10 feet, made of thick concrete and steel walls and ceilings, with a three and a half inch thick steel door that was reinforced with copper to prevent burning. Whoa. The vault's floor was made of solid concrete and steel, 18 inches thick. The vault was secured with a silent alarm system that was triggered by both noise and heat. So if someone tried to drill or burn through the walls or door of the vault, an alarm would sense the noise or the heat and trigger this. Right. Like it would trigger the alarm. And finally, the vault had a time lock on it meaning that after closing, the manager would set the lock and it wouldn't be able to unlock until a certain time, no matter what. Yeah. Usually that time that the vault would automatically reopen would be whatever time the bank opened the next morning. Okay. This is a typical vault for a commercial bank. Is the vault where they keep like the security boxes and stuff? Yes. Okay. Yes. So when the manager hears this noise coming from the vault, she calls the security team, which is located an, at an office, like off-site, right. and she asks them to check on this noise. And the guy running security is like, oh, we don't have any indication of a noise trigger coming from the vault. Maybe it's a rat in the walls. But she's not convinced. And she's like, I swear to God, it sounds like drilling coming from inside of the vault. And mind you, remember, she can't get into the vault to look. Right. It's after hours. It's on a time lock. She's just going by what she's hearing and she's pleading with the security guy and he's like, it's a rat. Mm. We don't have any evidence of any um, foul play going on over here, lady. And then he said to her, well, if you hear drilling, it's probably construction going on outside. Okay, lady. I mean, it was like 6 p.m. What construction's still going on? No, they're so dismissive. The following week on a Saturday, the vault's silent alarm went off. The sound sensor had been triggered. But apparently, this is actually not uncommon for a vault sound sensor to be triggered by something relatively innocuous, like an electrical problem. Right. Regardless, when the sound sensor was triggered, the security team followed its usual protocol. So when the alarm is triggered... The security office calls the cops and the bank manager, and then they go to the bank to take a look around and check things out. So that's what happened. The cops and the manager went to the bank, and they found nothing amiss. The next week, the bank begins experiencing electrical problems. Hmm. An electrician comes by and fixes the issue, even though he's stumped about what caused this shortage in the first place. Right. He can't figure it out, but they get it fixed. Bank employees just shrug it off, and a few of them even make jokes about a poltergeist that's haunting the bank. They don't get paid enough to care, probably. <laughs> yeah, this isn't their problem. That weekend, on Saturday, June 7th, the assistant manager comes to do some work while the bank is closed, when suddenly the bank's Muzak system turns on and starts playing music. Ooh, that's, that's scary. scary. Yeah. Not only that, but she also begins to hear a popping and hissing kind of electrically sound coming from the Muzak system. Interesting. That's extra creepy. Yeah. So she calls security, and they confirm that the vault's alarm had been triggered on their end. The bank followed security protocol. The cops showed up, checked around the bank, and they don't see any evidence of a break-in. Now remember, the vault's time lock had been set since the bank was closed and wouldn't be able to be opened up until Monday morning. This is a Saturday evening that they're checking things out. So there would have been no way for any of them to know that a hole was being dug from underneath the vault. Right. After doing their check of the bank, the assistant manager closed up and left. And that was the weekend the bank was robbed. On Saturday night, 
The alarm was triggered again. So after the assistant manager left and the cops left, the alarm gets triggered again later that night. By this time, the security guys and the bank manager decide not to go back to the bank. They're like, ugh, we just dealt with that. I mean, the time lock seems like a bad idea in a way, right? I think it's pretty common. But you can see how it can be manipulated. Kind of, but I think this circumstance is so unusual. Well, that's true. But I think it's like it probably works better from evening to morning. But when you're giving someone two whole days or whatever, a long extended period of being able to do something. Right. Because they probably timed it to when they knew the bank would be closed. Or if I'm assuming the robbers knew something about the system or how the time lock worked. Maybe. Um, but it sucks for them that they couldn't do the one thing that would have figured this whole thing out. Yeah, before it happened. On in and saw that hole. I mean, like, well, hey, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, Why is this going off for the a reason? The floor's smoking. It's just, it's like weird there's not even like a camera to look in or something, you know? I don't know. It's 1986. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had security cameras, but. Yeah, but they can't even see inside. Right? I mean. Do that. I wonder if they do that anyway. I guess they, they would have them on during the day. They have to have a security camera in the vault. I mean, obviously my knowledge is like movie and TVs where you see them going <laughs> in and pulling out the box on like the security camera. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so they're like, ugh, there's something wrong with the alarm. Right. It's like broken and it just keeps going off even though nothing's happening. I mean, I guess you wouldn't go to the the immediate thought that someone's drilling a hole through the floor because you'd be like, they come through the door, bank robbers. Because that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they're yeah. like, the alarm's going off and the assistant manager's like, well, I'm here. Nothing's happening. Yeah. Like there's no men with guns in my exactly. face. Exactly, yeah. Um, so this the, the manager, the security team, they're like, all right, well, this is another literal false alarm. We're just going to wait till Monday and deal with it then Mm. and figure this out. Well, we all know what happened on Monday. The bank had been robbed. And all those people were like, oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Like the ones who were like, ah, forget about it. (laughs) I mean, I have to wonder what the manager, like if she called back the security guy and was like, guess what happened? Looks like someone drills a hole on the floor. (laughs) Looks like there was some drilling going on after all, Steve. No, she must have felt so vindicated. I'm happy for her. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Bill Redder notes that not only was this method of break-in the kind usually only seen in a heist movie, but that this particular bank robbery was remarkable to have occurred in Los Angeles as opposed to the East Coast, where banks are much older and therefore easier to break break into. Ooh. He declares that this robbery is a real-life caper as opposed to your run-of-the-mill stick-em-up robbery. He's like, this qualifies as a caper. He's got his own little system. This guy, Bill, has some thoughts. Yeah. Like I he, love a caper. He, it's, <laughs> I love a caper, too, and you don't often see them in real life. Yeah. anymore. And what's his does he have a definition of a caper? He goes on to basically say like a caper take uh, hold on, let me find it. I'll find that. Okay, I'll I need find to the, know. Okay. He says, "No doubt about it, we had a bona fide caper on our hands. Capers are by definition crimes in which cunning and intelligence and careful planning trump weapons and violence. Crimes where the payoff is big, the methods usually stealthy and nobody gets hurt." When a jewel thief in a tuxedo slips out of the masked ball and steals the Duchess's diamond tiara from the safe hidden behind the cognac in the liquor cabinet, that's a caper. <laughs> he really put some detail into that. <laughs> He's like the cognac. <laughs> yeah, he says like, and he continues by basically saying like, going into a jewelry store, sticking a gun in the someone's face and robbing them, that's like a run-of-the-mill robbery. That doesn't take intelligence. Right. A caper is something that's planned out. Where I like a caper too where they don't even know they've been robbed for a while. Like obviously the bank is a different story, but like they've been had. Yeah. If you if if your um mark says I've been had, <laughs> you just pulled off a caper. That's a caper. Uh I, caper is very like Alfred Hitchcock, like those old movies with like cat rob, you know, cat burglars like, yeah. to the wealthy and stuff like that, where they infiltrate the scene. Yes. I love it. I love a, I love a caper and a heist. So this took planning, obviously, patience. And investigators wondered if maybe these guys were Vietnam vets or maybe city workers who were familiar with the storm, storm drain system. Ooh. Bill also noticed, though, that despite their expertise in tunnel building, the method of prying open the safe deposit boxes seemed rather amateurish. So that was a rather interesting aspect to this because everything else seemed like pretty sophisticated. He threw shade. But he's like, (laughs) he's like, "Mm." but he was like, this is the way they pried these boxes open, amateur hour. Basically, the small safe deposit boxes, which are all on that wall inside of the vault, they were all mangled by the use of a crowbar, which he said was not a good method 
to get them open because when the crowbar was used, the metal would smush into the sides and the tops and the bottoms of the other boxes surrounding them. Right. So it, it would it rend- jam them. It would jam them. It would render some of the boxes unopenable. That's very true. Good he, point, Bill. He recommended like a sledgehammer with some other tool to pop the pop the lock. Oh, okay, on, Bill. On these boxes, this led investigators to wonder if the robber's expertise wasn't in robbery, but in mining or construction. Mm. So the detectives checked out city workers and construction workers, but turned up nothing. They then got a tip from an anonymous caller who said the guy who ordered the heist was a local gangster. The caller said this gangster had opened up a safe deposit box in his girlfriend's name and stashed $3 million worth of drug money inside. So investigators checked out the girlfriend's name, and there actually was someone who had rented a safe deposit box in this woman's name. This was their only lead at yeah. this time, was this anonymous caller who's like, it's this, it's this gangster. Sounds like a, a vendetta. Right. But they knew they had to wait for this informant, anonymous tipster, to call back because that was their only lead. So they're yeah. just like waiting by the phone. They end up tapping one of the agent's phones so that they can hopefully trace this call and right. find out more information but when this anonymous caller does call back, he immediately notices the clicking sounds yeah. of the phone being tapped, and he hangs up, and they don't hear from him again. He's like, I'm done. You fucking I'm rapes. helping you guys. Fuck you. I heard that click. Detectives did locate this gangster that the caller had named. He was a very low-level guy, around 60 years old, living in an apartment in Las Vegas. FBI agents surveilled him for a while, but nothing came of it. They even knocked on his door to have him answer some questions. And when they told him why they were there, he said, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't think this guy did it. If you're a 60-year-old gangster living in an apartment in Vegas, you're done. You're out of the biz. No? That's basically what he told them. He's like, (laughs) why? He said, he was like, obviously someone who doesn't like me, and I have a lot of enemies, they're trying to fuck with me. If I had $3 million, why would I be living in a dump like this? Like, he lived in a shitty apartment. Right. That's what it sounds like. Why? Why? And if this was some drug, stolen drug money, don't you think I'd be hiding out better? Like, there's guys after me. Yeah. Um, This is stupid. You guys found me so easily. Then detectives interviewed this guy's ex-girlfriend, the one who had rented the safe deposit box at the bank, and she laughed saying there's no way that loser could have pulled off a bank heist. You can always count on the ex. She knew. To tell the truth. She's like, look, he sucks, but <laughs> yeah. he's not smart enough to do that. Come on, yeah. He's, and they're like, yeah, he's kind of old. Yeah, this is going nowhere. So they were back to square one. Flash forward a year later. It was Saturday night on August 21st, 1987, at 11.30 p.m., when the alarm at the Bank of America on Pico and La Cienega went off, the security company dismissed it as a false alarm. Mm. But two hours later, at 1.30 a.m., it went off again. Once more, the security team dismissed it. I think this guy didn't want to get off his chair. Yeah, because they, they got to be telling each other, hey... Security alarm goes off. <laughs> That's what happened at the other bank. Do you know what I mean? Like, what they had he... that little note in the office, to yeah. things to look for. You right. know. <laughs> um. So he dismisses it a second time. Finally, at three thirty a.m., the alarm went off a third time, and this time the security team is like, "Okay, fine." And he called the bank's manager, waking him up. The security officer told the manager that it was probably a false alarm, but that they they got a, an alarm yeah. alert. Um, he's like, look, there's probably construction in the area. That may have triggered the alarm. The police were dispatched to check out the bank and see if anything was going down. And these cops literally just like rolled by in their cruisers and looked at the bank. Yeah. And it looks fine to me. Yeah. And they drove off. At 6 a.m., the alarm is triggered again. 
The security office guy is like, hey, that's four times. Maybe I should go down there. Yeah. So he gets up. He goes down to the bank with cops, and then they go inside to see what's going on. Now, the vault inside this bank did not have the typical time lock system where the vault can only open at a different time. It had a combination that had to be opened by two employees with separate combinations. So the assistant manager came down to the bank and was able to get the vault open with the security guy. And lo and behold, there had been another break-in. And it sure as hell looked like it was done by the very same guys who had robbed the first interstate bank last year. The tunnel was larger than before Mm. and nicer. So these guys had some time to perfect their skills. Yes. It was even tricked out with electrical lighting on the ceiling. Ooh. They made like a little um, lounge area. It had this little blinking LED. They had fairy lights. Fairy lights. They had those fairy lights on the yes. ceiling. Um, the robbers had entered through a storm drain that ran under, underneath La Cienega. The entrance to this drain was bigger than the one before. This entrance was 10 feet by 15 Ooh. feet. They employed the same tactic as before, which was to go through the drain pipe, then cut an 18-inch diameter hole in the concrete pipe, dig a tunnel that goes to the bank. The hole in the pipe was a tight squeeze for a grown man. Detectives surmised that they had used the same drum boring machine that they had previously used to try and break through the floor of the other bank. But because this pipe ran on a major boulevard, the robbers had to cover their tracks in case a city maintenance worker went down there. So each time they were finished a shift of digging, the robbers would stick a circle of plywood over the hole in the pipe in this, like on, this, on the side of this pipe, covering right. it up so that if any workers who came by during the day were in that pipe in that area, they wouldn't see that a chunk of it had been taken out. Yeah. The same method of hauling dirt and wheelbarrows was employed, though this time the hole from the pipe to the tunnel was too small to fit a wheelbarrow in, so they just dumped the dirt through the hole in the pipe, and then later they would haul it from the pipe in their ATVs and dump it at a different pipe nearby. Wow. So they used the ATVs again. Yeah. The same boring drum machine was used to cut through the floor of the vault, but this time they put a system in place that allowed the machine to be still and to not jerk. And they were able to cut this perfect round 18-inch diameter hole. It was so perfect that like when other... um, Like people who knew like that machine saw it, they're like, wow, nice. Ooh, yeah, clean cut. Like, it was like a really good job. Wow. They did a really good job. Um, this, they, so they wouldn't have to finish the job with picks and hand shovels like before. Again, these guys have improved yeah. since last They've time. They learned from their mistakes. For sure. Though their craftsmanship on the tunnel and the pipe cutting was better than before, the robbers' bank heist sk- skills had not improved. They still use those crowbars. Uh, well, unfortunately for them, they didn't have a time to get to the, to the security deposit boxes. Oh. They didn't have all weekend this time to loot the bank. Yeah. By the time they got inside, the security team had sent cops over to check things out. Yeah. They made it out of there with just $98,000 in cash. So they didn't get a chance to rob any of the security deposit boxes. Um, And they had even left some bundles of cash laying around behind because they like really had to scramble. They left behind inside of the vault, they left behind a Harley Davidson t-shirt, some of their tools, a pair of overalls. And they also left quite a bit behind inside the tunnel including the boring machine, which might have been expensive. Yeah. They left behind some tools, a wheelbarrow, shovels, and they even left behind their Suzuki ATV inside the drain pipe. Oh, no. Unfortunately for the cops, the guys had filed the serial numbers down on the vehicle. So they got more detectives to go explore the drain pipe running down La Cienega. 
And they were headed north on La Cienega towards Wilshire through to Beverly Hills. When they noticed another hole cut into the side of this drain pipe further down, right, north, they saw the same 18-inch round piece of plywood covering up this hole as well as to disguise it from any workers. And of course, this hole led to another tunnel. This tunnel led to the Union Federal Savings and Loan on Wilshire. And was the tunnel complete to the bank floor? So it was like their next target. The tunnel was ready. Yeah. Detectives surmised that the robbers had planned to rob this bank the Sunday night after their nearly botched job on La Cienega Bank at the La Cienega Bank of America, but sadly they had to abandon that heist after nearly being busted at that one. Oh so, my god. So they hadn't cut through the floor yet of right. this bank, but they were about to. They should space these out more. I think they were really ambitious. Yeah. They're like, well, there's a bank really close by, and it also is on La Cienega. While we're down here. We might as well. Yeah. Like, we get we hit the La Cienega and Pico, and then we go a few blocks north and hit the um, La Cienega Wilshire. So they were going to do it, like, literally on the same day or whatever. Like, two days, yeah. like a day apart. Yeah. Um, and they're like, we might as well, we're down here. Yeah. Let's build the tunnel. We'll get Rick to buy us some more coffee. Yeah. Um, but that didn't happen. And I feel bad for them because that's a lot of work. I mean, at least they got 98000 from the last gig. <laughs> they did. Um, they, the cops were like, well, they, they might come back to this tunnel. Nah, because they're already looking at the cops from across the street. Like, yeah, they uh, knew the cops. Yeah. That's why they left so fast. Yeah. They even, the, the, the cops even contemplated stashing an FBI agent down in the tunnels for a few days with food and water so that he could wait for the robbers to come back. Just give it to Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Jimmy fucked up and they were like, go put him in, in the tunnel. Yeah, he gets the some tunnel snacks job <laughs> for a few days. <laughs> um, but they decided not to do this because yeah. the city was like, uh, we need to like inspect these streets because it might not be safe to drive on. Right. And they need to be filled with cement. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Um, and of course, this attracted the press. So there was no way that those, those robbers were going to come back to this tunnel. No. They had to just let it go. Crime lab techs were able to pull the serial number off of the Suzuki ATD with their magic crime scene chemicals. Zoom in. They enhanced. They they zoomed and enhanced the Suzuki (laughs) Samurai ATV. They found out that the ATV was purchased in Hollywood under the name Robert Spaulding. Now, detectives knew that this name was an alias, and they figured it was a tribute to Spalding Avenue, the cross street of the Hollywood Bank. Oh. The detectives learned that a Robert Spalding had also purchased three additional ATVs across L.A., like one in El Monte, mm-hmm. another one at, a, at another place in Hollywood. But Robert Spalding paid in cash. Mm-hmm. Robert Spalding also bought the tools that had been recovered from the tunnels, they were able to get a description of the men who purchased the ATVs and tools from the sellers. They were described as white men in their early 30s, English-speaking with no accent, slim and muscular, wearing Ooh. construction worker clothes. One guy with short hair, one guy with long hair. I think they sound hot. I was going to say, I thought that when I heard about the Harley Davidson t-shirt. Like, ooh, he must... I was like, ooh. He's a bad boy. The overalls? Maybe it's Jake Hansen. (laughs) Seriously. Honestly, this is giving Jake Hansen. The boring machine was determined to have been purchased in San Francisco. The seller said the guy known as Robert Spaulding needed it right away. And he paid cash. And he also matched the description of one of the two guys. Yeah. That was as far as the leads went. Two years later, in 1989, the case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. But that only generated bogus tips from attention seekers. Right. And then, in 1992, the Statute of Limitations ran out. Not statue. (laughs) 
<laughs> Please, mom, don't um, text in. I didn't realize there was a limitation on something like this. That seems short. The statute of limitations is over for yeah. these boys. That's nice. They never came forward. Even though they could. They could now. Yeah. Um, this seems like one of those cases that kills Bill Redder because he went on this long, paragraphs long um, journey at the end of this chapter in his book about who he thinks these guys are. Who gives a shit? They didn't hurt anybody. No, he's he he like romanticizes them. Yeah. Oh, he does. He romanticizes okay, them, good. but he still thinks of them as the ones he got away. He's like, I w- I really wish they'd come. Find- I I just want to buy him a celebration beer. That's or, nice. Or you got me beer. I agree. Okay, good. Because I was like, this is not something to lose your life over. I Do you think, know what I mean? I think these guys are cool, and I think they earn this money. They earn the money. I love that they didn't harm anybody. They didn't have to harm anyone. Um, again, leaves of grass. We feel a little bad about Matisse, you know, whatever. Right, because you can't really sell those things, probably. Well, that's the other thing. Uh, during the investigation, they were checking out, like, pawn shops, the Aunt Sotheby's, right. whatever. Those items never turned up. I like that this guy is Jake Hansen. He wanted that Whitman. He has his little Matisse hanging. Mm. He's a biker, but he loves literature and art. Can I read you? <laughs> can I read you some of the romantic prose? Of course. That Bill Redder wrote about these guys. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Bill says, "I see two, maybe three men sitting around after work one day in a bar in some windblown desert town with dust in their hair and hard hat tan lines on their faces and cold beers in their hands. They're brothers or cousins or at least the tightest of friends, guys who went to a small town high school together, the sort of wild but not mean blue collar kids who liked cars and dirt bikes. <laughs> they did some half-assed teenage crimes, joyriding, maybe a burglary they never got caught for. But they don't have criminal hearts. It was the thrill, not the gain, that motivated them. They're not well-educated in the formal sense. They never gave a rat's ass about school. They're not college boys. But they're smart, resourceful, and they aren't afraid of big machines and hard work. Oof. They s- <laughs> this is erotic. It goes on, and I'm going to have to like skip some stuff. Like Especially, I need to like read you like the final paragraph. Okay. It's, this guy got rock hard. Ooh, I mean, I'm getting there. <laughs> he's 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 really uh, writing well, like for you yeah, know, they horny. Sp- <laughs> <laughs> they spent high school summers on the road crew or doing pissant labor for their uncle's construction company. And after graduation, some recruiter got to them, and they all signed up together for some high adrenaline military specialty: oh. Army, Airborne, Marines, or something with a little "Are you man enough?" juice to it. But Vietnam was over. No wars loomed. And to their disappointment, they never got into this shit. Yet the military bearing and discipline stuck, even after they got out. They're still young, late 20s, early 30s, still single, no wives, no kids, no mortgages. For years now, they've been following heavy construction projects all over California and the West. Bridges, dams, subway tunnels, storm sewer projects as journeyman steel workers or machinists or carpenters or heavy equipment operators. The money's good when they're working. In fact, it's almost more than they can spend. But the money isn't enough. They may not even realize it, but they need excitement, action, something different. On this day in the bar, in this godforsaken town, they're bullshitting as usual. Maybe the one of them has seen a caper movie the night before. <laughs> the action is the juice. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about it, how these movie bad guys pulled off this really cool score, and suddenly one of them tosses this off. Shit, we could do something like that. We could rob a bank. And that's how simple it is. That's how regular guys get into crime, with a half-assed idea that lands on a barroom table amid a field of half-empty Marlboro packs and dead soldier beer bottles. I don't buy that they're military for some reason. They were in the military for like a minute. What, do they know that? No, he's surmi- this is all he's guessing. He's speculating this whole thing. He's profiling them. I know. I just from for me, I'm like they could be nerds. Do you know what I mean? Like they could be nerds who got buff. 
Or they could be like some blue collar workers, but then they have the one mastermind nerd guy. He's the guy in the truck. <laughs> yes. He's the lookout guy. And he's the brains of the operation too. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to skip ahead okay. a little bit. But for one of them, the leader, the catalyst <laughs> of the group, the idea won't go away. The next day he's still thinking about it. And the next and the next... He's a brooder, a thinker, the kind of guy who's able to look into the future and see his own face on the bodies of the broken down older guys he works with every day. And he doesn't enjoy the vision. Maybe he wishes the idea wasn't there in his head, but there it is, and it has to be dealt with. The only alternative is more life and how he knows it forever. And fuck that. Just fuck that. He would never Whoa. use the word, of course. Probably would. <laughs> Why? <laughs> probably wouldn't even understand it in the context. He's a romantic. Mm. And finally, after weeks or even months, he passes through the door. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this bank robbery thing. Yeah, sure. But they see his face. You're serious. Fucking A, I'm serious. (laughs) I'm using that word now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to bust my hump for the rest of my life just so I can get old and die in a goddamn trailer park. Are you in or are you out? If you're out, say so. I'll find somebody else. It's a challenge. (laughs) A question of balls. (laughs) These guys aren't criminals, but none of them wants to be left behind. And it's not like they're going to stick guns in some old lady's face. Nobody's going to get hurt. Slowly, over days or weeks, they each do a personal life assessment and decide, Mm. okay, what the fuck? I'm in. How much do you think we'll get? I don't know. A million? Two million? Whatever. Holy shit. But for the leader, at least, the money is almost secondary. Somehow it's the doing of the thing that matters most. So they start to plan seriously now. They're meticulous, or at least the leader is, going over every single possible angle. They realize they need more hands, so they bring in one or two other guys, cousins maybe, or lifelong friends, guys they can count on to be cool and never talk for love or fear or money. Maybe they'll check out a library book on vaults to to figure out the specs, how much concrete and steel they'll have to cut through, what tools they'll need. They they think that digging the tunnel and cracking the concrete is going to be the hard part, not paying much attention to bank security procedures or alarm systems. Mm. Maybe one of them dated a teller once. Somebody who mentions time locks and the frequency false al- frequent false alarms, and they figure they'll be long gone before anyone can check the vault. They're not worried about that part of it. They pick Los Angeles because one of them had worked on a sewer project there. They know the sewer system layout and how the public works guys who maintain the sewers operate. This is the worst profile I've ever heard. <laughs> I think it's cool. Um, this keeps going on and on. I'm just gonna. I just need to read like the end of this because it it really goes on. I mean, because it's it's funny because he's clearly just seen a million movies because nothing he's saying is remotely unique. It's all very basic boilerplate kind of criminal stuff. No, but I love it. Yeah, I no, love it's funny. it because it's so romantic. It says they go back to their lives following the construction work around here six months, here six months, there a year, living in temporary apartments in cheap neighborhoods in the cities or baking in trailer parks in high, in high summer in the middle of nowhere. The years go by. They're getting older now in their mid to late 40s. They're thinner of hair and thicker of waist. It's doubtful they could squeeze through an 18-inch <laughs> diameter hole. Damn, son. <laughs> In the floor of the bank vault, even if they wanted to. Although their lives have finally gone in separate directions, they still get together every now and then to crack some beers and talk in guarded, coded phrases about that long-ago special job they did when they were young. The wives, most of them have finally settled down with, have no idea what the boys are talking about, and they've long learned not to ask. All the money they took is long gone, of course, and the stuff they stole out of the bank boxes on the first job, almost all the stuff is gone too. Pawned for pennies or burned or buried or put in a plastic bag and tossed in a dumpster. They never did figure out what to do with it, and keeping it was dangerous. But one of them, the leader, the planner, couldn't stand apart with every reminder of what they'd done. 
He'd held on to some of the junk, a couple of items that none of the other guys cared about. He's holding on to them still. So, in my imagination, I see a trailer sitting in a mobile home park in Pahrump, Nevada, or outside Bakersfield, cooking in the sun. Inside, it's clean and orderly, the home of a guy who is disciplined, meticulous, a man who lives by himself and likes things just so. There's a small TV, a mustard-colored couch, a fridge well-stocked with beer, a battered hard hat sitting on a formica table, and a pair of dusty work boots resting on a dull green linoleum floor. It's a totally unremarkable place. Honestly, it sounds cute. I love the mustard sofa. With the green linoleum floors? <laughs> this sounds cute. But in the bedroom, mm. here's, here's the finale. Yes. But in the bedroom, on top of a particle board chest of drawers full of <laughs> tightly rolled socks and neatly folded underwear, there's an old book of poetry that someday the man who lives here might just read. And over on the bed, encased in a Walmart frame and hanging from a nail <laughs> driven into the wood veneer paneling, there's an untitled sketch of a young woman kind of free-flowing line drawing, a series of loops and swirls that show the idea of a woman more than the details of her. He's been dragging it around with him for years now, and while he doesn't know much about the drawing, he likes it. It's important to him. It's by some guy named Matisse. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that's Bill Redder's idea of who these guys were. I mean, I don't know. He could be right. Robbers, come on the pod. Seriously. We will change your voice. We'll I mean, they're probably still alive, right? Possibly. Yeah. I think they're still alive. Because if they're 30s in the late 80s, right? Yeah. Mid to late 80s. So they're they're like definitely. They're in their 60s now. Yeah. Let us know if, if he's right, please. Yeah. Just email in. <laughs> Be like, I was one of those guys. And he couldn't be further from the truth. I'm a successful screenwriter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is something where it's like, he really went down a road. Do you know what I mean? Like that they're, they're like working class or poor. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like they could be just middle class and average too. They could also be assholes. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity. It could be broads. Yeah. That's did why you they were think, so small. Did you ever think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Broads did this. Maybe the first bank teller was in on it. <gasps> <laughs> I'm just saying there's lots of interesting things if you're going to make up a story that you could do. Yeah. And he went with sort of the more basic one, I think. Right? Yeah. He went for the cheesy cinematic romantic version. Yes. But I do, I do believe that guy kept the book. Leaves of grass. And the, and the painting or the drawing. Because why wouldn't you? You can't sell them. No, you can't sell them. Um, anyway, that's the story of the Hole in the Ground Gang. Is that what they're called? They're called the Hole in the Ground Gang. That's cute. Yeah, it's a cute... like That sounds um, like a little kid show. It does. <laughs> With it's Mario a, Cantone. It's adorable. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of them, actually. Yeah. But maybe that's something else, too. No, I think I think we both have briefly mentioned them in passing, like both of us had heard about the story but never looked further into it. And this was never the basis for a movie? I don't think so. It seems like it could be. It should be a movie. I bet you this guy wrote a screenplay. And no one bought it? Yeah. They're like, it's too melodramatic and cheesy. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, I don't buy it. Because he created these lives for them. No, I think this guy's obsessed with them. Well, I'm glad he caught some other... Robbers, right? Apparently, maybe. Um, yeah, I haven't read the rest of his book, but I am kind of intrigued. So maybe in the new year, we'll get some other more heist stories. Yes. Because I do think um, there's probably some more interesting bank robbery stories from Los Angeles, but this one is particularly unique, I think. Well, I, and they weren't caught. They were never caught. And usually if you rob a bank, I feel like... someone most- Someone comes forward. I feel like most bank robbers are caught. I think it helped that they hadn't injured anyone, so no one felt some kind of moral push to tell. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone was killed, I think someone would have felt 
like they had to come forward. Yeah. Well, that and I was, think this was kind of like, who gives a shit? It's just a bank. Well, that was the other thing. Um, bank of America, they lost $98,000 and that's like pennies to them. Yeah. It's just, it's like no one was hurt. Yeah. No and one, they're insured. Yeah, so because all the people who lost stuff. All the people at First Interstate Bank were collectively given a $2.5 million payout. Damn. So they got they got their money back. Right. Um, we don't know what happened to the Persian artifacts, but... Right. Maybe they stole them maybe from they, the country and weren't allowed to take them. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> maybe he had them... Why was he hiding them in a safe deposit yeah, box? Sounds illegal. Maybe Indiana Jones did the heist. He said these belong in a museum. Or there's going to be a curse unleashed if we don't return them. (gasps) See, Bill could have gone there. He could have. (laughs) See, see, that's where we would have gone in the story. We would have done none of the more boilerplate stuff. No, we would have gone um, adventure. Absolutely. And action. Anyway. Interesting. We'll be back very soon for our mini episode and uh, I will put the Patreon link in the show notes if you would like to subscribe starting at just $5 a month you will have access to our entire catalog of bonus episodes and including the Ashley Simpson show recap which we had just started and we're very excited about. Bye. Bye.